Welcome to Ask an Ex-Mormon Therapist. This is your host, Jenny Morrow, and I've been really missing podcasting. And so even though things have just felt whirlwindish lately, there's been so many different pieces happening at once in terms of work and life and movement. And so I haven't put out an episode for a while, and I've just been really wanting to. And so even though I haven't done a lot of preparation and I won't be doing a lot of editing, my goal here is just to get it out and to connect with anyone who's looking for some ideas and answers. And so I'm going to be reading through one of the questions that I've got from a listener. And for anyone who's listening who's new to Ask an Ex-Mormon Therapist, if you ever have a question you want to ask, send it through to exmormontherapist at gmail.com. I still have a few letters in the queue that I'm I'm wanting to answer. Feel free to send it through and I'll get to it hopefully sometime soon. So let's get into it. Our letter today is from Boundlessly Confused. And Boundlessly Confused says, Dear Jenny, I'm a peacemaker and I really dislike conflict with my family of origin. I'm the oldest of six and we're pretty loving, yet certain subjects are really off the table. A few years ago, I stopped going to church because my husband and I didn't believe in it anymore and felt it was not a healthy place to raise our five kids. We knew it would be awkward for my parents and five siblings, but it seems to be sort of taboo subject now and we rarely bring it up. The first visit we made back to Utah to visit family, I overheard my nephew, he was only nine, tell my son who was age eight, you need to go back to church or you can't go to the celestial kingdom. It bothered me a little, but I also felt that we could help combat any of those misplaced doctrines by talking with our kids openly and helping them realize that other people have very different beliefs than we do. I didn't feel like I wanted to talk to my nephew's parents about it because I just want to get along and show them all that we're kind, open-hearted, and above arguing about doctrine. I want to take the higher road in this way, plus I don't like conflict and neither does my family. As the oldest in our family, it's been hard to lose my place as the one people look up to. I want to be authentic and be open about who I am and how I now see the world, but I'm scared to approach them about this, especially because we so rarely see them as we live three states away, and all of our connections are online or in phone calls, and it just seems weird to talk about myself in a revealing way. I fear that they would rather not know me as I really am. I hear a lot about the importance of setting boundaries within families, so I wonder how that applies to us. I have a sister-in-law who criticizes our family for being passive-aggressive in certain ways. She thinks that there is undue pressure to attend family gatherings and contribute to our family fund, but I don't agree with her. This causes me to wonder if there are real issues in our family dynamics that I just don't want to see, or if we are really pretty mature because we don't let petty differences become a huge deal. I will say that I would like to feel closer to my siblings and parents, and I'm just not sure how to make that happen. It feels hard to put my real self out there, especially as an ex-Mormon, and I just procrastinate those phone calls for months at a time. Do you think it's possible for families to stay close, even after someone leaves the common faith of the family? What role do boundaries have in that process? And what can just one person do to keep those connections strong? Thanks. Boundlessly confused. Okay, so I have T 
tingling running through my body. I think that last question there was really powerful. Do you think it's even possible for families to stay close, even after someone leaves the common faith of the family? I could just feel the desire for sorting that question out. The question of, yeah, really, how do we stay close, even when differences start to arise? And so I feel really excited about answering this letter today. So thank you, Boundlessly Confused for sharing your experience and putting it out there for all of us to learn from. And I'm going to just go through the letter from the top and just share what my experience was as I was reading it. And I read this letter when it first came through, which was which was a few weeks ago. And so I have read the letter once, and I haven't read it since. I remember I felt really excited to answer the letter when I read it. And so when I pulled it up today, I wasn't sure exactly what the details were, And my goal here was to read it and just connect with what was coming up because so often when I first read a letter, that's where I have like just some real big insights will usually pop up initially. And so I just wanted to move with that today. Um, At least they feel big to me. I always learn so much just reading other people's letters. So hopefully in some way it'll be helpful to some of you who are listening. Okay, so the first thing you talked about was I'm a peacemaker and I really dislike conflict with my family of origin. So when I first read that, my feeling was like, well, my feeling initially was, oh yeah, like I can understand that. And then today as I'm rereading it, my sense is, does anyone like conflict? And I was thinking about who does like conflict. And I was thinking, you know, we get kind of two responses to conflict. We get those who tend to withdraw from it, who don't like it. And then we get those who get into conflict and they... It's like they respond in a sort of aggressive, debatable, intellectual, I want to be right and let me kind of get my point across way, right? And so I think we get both responses to conflict within ourselves and within our relationships from other people. And so I think what's really lacking here is not so much whether we like or dislike conflict, is rather how do we face conflict in a way that actually grows the relationship, that actually helps it, that actually moves it. And what I'd say is if you're in either place, whether you're a withdrawer of con- from conflict or whether you get into it and you're like, let's do this, and you just kind of like want to be the one that's right and, and you love to, to win an argument, you know, if either of those are happening, that's good information that there may be some missing pieces in terms of how to use the conflict to actually grow the relationship, okay? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And you said that you are the oldest of six and your family is pretty loving and yet certain subjects are really off the table. So what was popping up here when I looked at that was a book that I read this last year and I actually wish I could remember the, the name of it. I think it was called Millionaire Success Habits or something. It was a business book. And it was talking about just success habits of those who seem to be able to maintain consistent wealth in their businesses. And one of the things that they were talking about was goal setting. And in the section on goal setting, one of the things the author was describing was, you know, what is it you really want in your life? So he was asking questions to help kind of stir interest or desire. And so we could so the reader could identify with what they really wanted. And so he said, how loving are your relationships? Question mark. And how intimate are your relationships? 
And I remember just kind of being like, oh, interesting. You know, even though I do this all the time, this work of intimacy and relationships and connection, there still is just, I'm just amazed at how my brain still learns things so frequently. And one of the things that became real clear in that moment was, oh, love and intimacy are not necessarily the same things. And that was a really powerful awareness for me. Because what I realized as I read those questions was when I asked, how loving are your relationships? And I just felt the sense of, oh yeah, I have very loving relationships, family relationships, friend relationships. And then I asked, how intimate are your relationships? And in that moment, there was a sense of, oh, I am, I am feeling a lack of intimacy in some of my relationships and some things that need to be attended to. And so that was really powerful. So it sounds like you're saying the same thing here, that you're very pretty loving in the family, the love piece is there. And if we were to talk about loving, loving meaning care, just that feeling of affection and care. And when we're talking intimacy, what we're talking about here is knowing someone, really knowing another person. And so there can be great love and great care, great affection without having intimacy, without really knowing someone. There can also be intimacy, such as sexual intimacy or or other kinds of intimacy, without really loving someone. So we can really know someone on some level and not necessarily have a lot of care or affection for them. And so this idea of love and intimacy aren't necessarily the same things. Ultimately, I think they they have connection. And so that's what we're looking for here is, okay, probably what I'm wanting is not just loving relationships, but relationships that are both loving and intimate, because that's where we get the power. That's where we get the magic. That's where relationships become really dynamite in our relationships or in our lives and really fuel this experience of aliveness for us. And so it sounds like that may be a part of what you're talking about is that you feel and experience the love and yet the intimacy or certain subjects, or knowing each other in certain ways, is off the table. The other thought that popped up when I read that was, how do you know that they're off the table? Has somebody said that explicitly? Has somebody said, you know, we're just not going to talk about religion in this family, or we're not going to talk about religion when we get together for family dinners, and everyone's made an agreement about that? Or are certain subjects off the table as a more implicit rule? Because you kind of sense that that's, everybody's agreed to it on a not not by an actual explicit agreement, but everyone's kind of agreed to it under the surface and is going along with that idea that we just don't talk about certain subjects. That, that may be what's going on. Um, or is there a belief that certain subjects are off the table when that's neither implicit or explicit? Maybe some people are unaware of certain subjects, and if you were to bring them up, they may or may not be open to talking about them or hearing about them. Now, you'll know most, you know, what what the case is, because this is your family. So is it an implicit family rule, an explicit agreed upon family rule? Or is it just something that is neither, but you have picked up as being true, which may or may not be. So it could be any of those. Just something to kind of sit with and think about. Um, Okay, so a few years ago, you stopped going to church because your husband and you didn't believe in it anymore. You felt it was not a healthy place to raise your five kids. You knew it would be awkward for your parents and five siblings, but it seems to be sort of taboo subject now, and you rarely bring it up. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is you knew that you guys leaving would be awkward for them, and I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if that's because because of the awkwardness in the subject itself or just awkward for them because, yeah, they're believers and they don't really know how to manage it. It's probably what I'm picking up. And then there's this other piece, which is 
you know, there's that, there's the awkwardness just around the reality of the experience. And then there's also the awkwardness or the taboo-ness of the subject itself and having conversation about it. And man, this just really is going back to this, this reality that so many of us struggle with having skills for intimacy in our families. So the thought that popped up there is that it's really no one's fault other than it just is what it is. And what we're wanting to do here is say, okay, if this feels hard for me that there's not more intimacy, if this feels hard for me that there's not more connection, what do I begin to do about it? And it is tricky sometimes to feel like we have to be the initiator. I I believe a lot of us want our parents to be the initiators in parent-child relationships especially. And we can start to feel frustrated or resentful or angry that we have to initiate this new potential growth in the family, which is intimacy and connection and being able to talk about things. And the reality is you may have certain family members that will get on board with you as you start to initiate that movement in the family. There are people who may get on board with you and there are people who may not. And so that can feel scary as well. I mean, that's ultimately usually the deeper fear is being rejected, not just rejected, you know, for leaving the church or whatever, but rejected for our sometimes even greater desire of just being able to talk about things, of just being able to have conversations that are real, that are more authentic, that are more honest. And so it can feel it can feel awkward and scary. And there was just a thought popping up right there, which was you talked about feeling like I'm gonna scroll down in the letter. Oh, you said that, you know, as you're the oldest in your family, it's been hard to lose your place as the one that people look up to. And you want to be authentic and be open about who you are and how you see the world. So maybe at some point in your life you did feel like you could be authentic. You know, as long as as long as everyone was in agreement about it, then there was space for authenticity. But if there's differences, then how do we be authentic? Okay, let me see what your question is actually. So you're asking, is it even possible to stay close after someone leaves the common faith? So my thought is it's actually possible to get closer. And that it's it's these processes in life where things don't always go the way we expected, where things don't always go as according to the plan and the box. It's these kinds of experiences that give us motion and they're like propellers to potential growth. And so I do believe that we can actually become closer through this experience if people are willing to do it. And because of the position you're in, you're probably going to need to be the initiator. So again, that can feel frustrating and sad, and there can be a grieving process as a child, even though you're an adult child, because again, on some level, we wanted mom or dad to just be able to show up and want to be intimate and close, even if we were not inside of the box that they had put us in. And so, you know, that can feel hard. And yet, you know, it's just, you get the choice. It's like, well, if I'm going to live this life, and if I'm going to be in my life, Do I want to just suck it up and just deal with it as it is? Which is absolutely okay. That's one option. Or do I want to learn about intimacy myself, right? And learn how to start to become more intimate, even in a space of differences. And then do I, am I willing to model that, to show up that way, to initiate that process? Am I willing to do that? So that's a big question. I'm just sensing that's a really big question. And you get to just sit with it. So I think you're in a good process already. 
And I would say to trust the process is happening, just the fact that you wrote the letter and you're asking the questions means you're in process. So my sense is you do want to move more in that direction because you've said you do. Okay, so let's get into what this would actually look like. Down the road, as you're building inner strength, as you're beginning to understand what intimacy looks like in a relationship, and this is really important to start to build the vision because that will help give you momentum and courage to start to take action, right? Because if we build the vision of what would an intimate family look like, what would it look like if there wasn't just love, but intimacy, really knowing each other, what would that look like? From there, you can start to strategize the actions and strategizing loosely because things won't always go as planned, but you'll be able to get, begin strategizing the actions and experimenting and learning and seeing what happens. So here you talk about the first visit that you made back to Utah to visit family. You overheard your nephew tell your son, you don't, oh, you need to go back to church or you can't go to the celestial kingdom. You said it bothered me a little, but I also felt we could help combat those misplaced doctrines. Okay, so the first step here, and for those of you who've listened to the podcast or for those of you who are, um, you know, for anyone who who knows the work that I do with clients and, and with my listeners on the podcast, the first step, which goes back to the poet process, the first step is to get present, is the P of poet, and to really notice what we feel, right? So you notice that it bothered you a little. You also felt some hope, some sense of, well, I'm putting in the idea of hope, um, but you said you felt you could help combat any of these misplaced doctrines. So there was kind of a sense of like, sounds like okayness, also some feelings of botheredness. So, you know, the first step is to get present to that. Ultimately, when we become more intimate in a relationship and as safety grows, we start to presence ourselves not just to ourselves, we also start to presence ourselves to another person. And it looks something like this. Well, I notice I am, I notice I felt bothered when I heard this. Whether it's said to your partner, your spouse, whether it's said to the nephew's mom, whether it's said to the nephew, whether it's said to your own parents. I mean, whoever you end up wanting to get close to, you know, those those are the people that we want to experience presencing ourselves to. And also people maybe who are involved on some level in the situation. So for example, and it's a lot of energy to go through this process. So we, you know, we can't do it with everyone in the whole world all the time. And it becomes important to realize, okay, which relationships do I value? And sometimes we can't always feel that we value a relationship because we're angry and we're hurt and we have walls up. And yet when we get quiet and when we go into those more meditative spaces and we really check in with, you know, what relationships do I really value in this life? Okay, if my family of origin is an important space of relationship, then yeah, what would it look like to begin to share more? So again, my sense here is that you didn't necessarily need to say anything to anyone, and yet down the road, it's going to be important to start to speak up. And not because you like conflict, and not because you love it and want to win it, and like, you know, you chase conflict, not because of either of those reasons, but because facing conflict with a process like POET is how we grow in closeness and connection and intimacy. And the first step of that is we have to presence ourselves to ourselves first and then to another person. If it's not safe, that's where we set, start to set up the boundaries. So you ask questions about boundaries, but I'm, I'm more curious first to find out what really is safe to share and not share in your family. Because there may be things that are safe to share 
that you just don't feel like they're safe to share because when you share them, you feel all sorts of internal turmoil. And that may mean you need to work on continuing to build safety with yourself first and so that you can get stronger and stronger inside so that you can start to say, it is okay to feel uncomfortable and I give other people permission to feel uncomfortable and to start to trust your intention in a conversation that I'm not approaching this topic to make anyone feel uncomfortable. I'm actually approaching this topic to experience more closeness and connection with you. Are you willing to do that with me? Is that something you would be able and or willing to participate in with me? And some people may say, I don't know yet. Let me think about that. I've had, I've had people say to me before when I've said, you know, they've asked a question and I'll say something like, I would love to share that. I would really like to share my experience with that. And I also have a big fear that if I share it, you will withdraw from me. And so I just want to put that out there. And if that feels okay to you, do you want to have this conversation? And how do you feel about this conversation moving forward? And I've had people say to me, I'm not ready yet. And from there I can say, okay, I respect that. But I don't, I'm not hiding myself. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm not sharing all the information because they're, they're consciously choosing not to hear it yet. They're specifically saying, yeah, I'm not ready for that. And so I can say, okay, I, I won't share that. And yet I'm not hiding. They know that there is information there that may leave them feeling uncomfortable. And again, the first place we want to start is really honoring that it's okay to feel uncomfortable. Discomfort is not a bad thing. If things get too uncomfortable, things can start to, to get too intense and we can kind of do self-destructive or relationship-destructive moves. So we want to watch if it's leading into that space. We don't want to become careless, but we also don't want to be passive. We also don't want to pretend or hide or stuff things down. So part of the boundary may be, okay, in the beginning, I'm going to be honest about my fears. And that may be the boundary for you. And it really has to start with self And how are you going to set boundaries with them? Because you're not even in a place to do mutual boundaries together really much in terms of them really knowing where you are and you knowing where them, I mean, to do those, to negotiate that depth of boundary with another person, there has to be more intimacy there, which doesn't exist yet because some of the conversations haven't happened yet. And so my sense is to first start with boundaries within yourself in terms of how you're going to show up around them. And then to get feedback if that boundary is effective or not effective for what you're wanting, which is more closeness and connection. So the boundary right now may be, I'm willing to no longer hide. That doesn't mean I'm going to share all the information. What that means is I'm going to share that there is information and that I'm feeling scared to open up or share it. If that happens, if there's a moment where that gets triggered up. Okay, so you talked a little bit about that you have a sister, you have a sister-in-law who criticizes your family for being passive-aggressive in certain ways. She thinks there's undue pressure to attend family gatherings and contribute to our family fund. But I don't agree with her. This causes me to wonder if there are real issues in our family dynamics. Okay, so as we're talking about boundaries, let's move to the next paragraph where you actually talk about the importance of setting boundaries in terms of what you've heard. So you say, I hear a lot about the importance of setting boundaries within families. So I wonder how that applies to us. I have a sister-in-law who criticizes our family for being passive-aggressive in certain ways. She thinks there's undue pressure to attend family gatherings and contribute to our family fund, but I don't agree with her. This causes me to wonder if there are real issues in our family dynamics that I just don't want to see, or if we are really pretty mature because we don't let petty differences become a huge deal. Okay, so let's, let's talk a little bit about 
the body of the, this paragraph first and then I'll come back to how it loops around to boundaries. Because it's interesting, you started this paragraph with, I hear a lot about the importance of setting boundaries within, your fam within families. And then you go on to talk about this idea that your sister-in-law criticizes the family for being passive-aggressive, and yet you're wondering if it's not just that there's maturity, like, okay, we're not going to let petty differences become a huge deal. And so, so I'm curious about the link there in terms of the, the ideas and the questions in terms of boundaries. And I like it. I like that there's a connection there because my sense is that there is a connection there. And, you know, for again, for those who are maybe new to the podcast, if you were to go back on some of the episodes, I don't remember which episode I talk about the chart on um, intimacy and connection and aliveness and then risking and masking. Um, it might be helpful to go back. I'm going to reference this a little bit here. But if you go back to that episode and where I talk about that chart, on the side of masking are two faces of one coin. And it's the face of passive responses and the face of aggressive responses. And so, well, just the fact that your sister-in-law is criticizing the family, if that's really what's happening, I don't know. That's good information that she's masking, trying to fix or control or think the family should be different, right? And so that's okay. That's just something to notice. Because here's what often happens. When someone is in a masked state, it often triggers anyone else around into a masked state. So if the family is in a masked state, it can trigger um, in-laws into masked states where they start to get critical or judgmental. I mean, it, the whole thing is like a whole system of like little pieces that hack into our own individual systems within our own individual life and let us know where we are still vulnerable to coming over into this masked state and where we struggle to stay on the side of risking. And where boundaries become really important is that boundaries are in and of themselves a risk. And they're those things that help us to stay on the side of risking. They're the things that help us to stay present in our lives and be who we are in our lives. And what's so fascinating to me, and I've really been thinking about this the last couple of weeks, which is the closer we get, the more intimate and connected we get to ourselves or to another person or to other people, the more boundaries matter. The more we need them, the more refined they need to be. Yeah, I just have found that the closer we get to ourselves and others, the more we need boundaries because the vulnerability has deepened and opened. And so, for example, with our own self, the closer we get to our truest passions, the closest we, the closer we get to what we really want to do in life, the more boundaries we need to protect our energy so that it doesn't leak out into like time wasters and energy wasters, right? I mean, if we're not doing what we really love anyway, who the hell cares if we're on social media for an hour or two a day? That may feel closer to who we really are than our work. And yet, if we're connecting with the work we really want, the relationships we really want, if we're really doing what we want, if we're really connecting with our passions in life, then boundaries become so important to protect our energy and our space and time so that we can stay focused and attend to the things that actually matter, that we actually value. And we may not always be right on our boundaries. You know, we may set a boundary and, and think that it's the correct boundary and life will come in and sideswipe us with something that lets us know, wow, I was missing something I value. And like maybe this relationship over here, I wasn't giving space for or attending to. And now I know how much it matters because this really painful, awful thing happened. And now how do I create space for it? If it's one of, one of the things I really value, if suddenly I can feel the importance of it in my life. And so life is continually moving us towards who we are and what we value. And so I'm sensing here in this paragraph that there's some confusion about 
this side of masking in terms of relationships because both aggressive things are masks. So if a family is, you know, if well, yeah, if a family is pushy or um, forces things or, you know, aggressive is to try to fix, control, coerce, manipulate, change versus, okay, here's what I want in my life. Here's what I want. And how do I set boundaries to protect space, time, energy so that I can create or make time for or have this thing I want? And if other people are involved in that, well, they may or may not be connected to that desire yet, or they may or may not even have that desire. And so all we can do is provide the invitation and the opportunity for them to join us. They may or may not. And that can be painful at times. And yet, again, it becomes an important boundary to set, which is whether or not other people join me on this path of intimacy and connection, I can no longer hide myself. And again, that doesn't mean I have to force feed anybody information or force feed my feelings onto anyone. That's not what this means. That would be a more aggressive approach. But I'm also no longer being passive. I'm not pretending or hiding or stuffing or denying or ignoring anymore. So again, those are two sides of the mass. And they almost always, I would actually say they always coexist. So if we're passive on the inside, if we're in kind of denial on the inside, we'll also often be aggressive on the outside. The other thing that can happen is if we're aggressive on the inside, right? What's wrong with me? I'm such an idiot. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Or we may be being aggressive to other people on the inside. They're such idiots. What's wrong with that? And then on the outside, we can act all passive and like we're totally fine and nothing's going on. So this passive and aggressive question is really important in terms of masking and it's really important in terms of boundary because if the family is being passive, if they just don't talk about things, well then you know you're ma- the family's masking. That's all. And if the family is being aggressive or if your sister-in-law is being aggressive or critical, then you know that that's masking. That's all it is. It's just information about masks happening. And what we want to do is we want to say, okay, what's, what's really happening and how do we move it back over into this place of risking? And I work on this all the time. I actually had something I processed just this morning where I noticed myself get kind of aggressive, feel some anger towards someone. And then I sat with it and I noticed how actually I'd been being passive inside of myself for about 24, 48 hours. I'd been ignoring a feeling, stuffing it down. And suddenly I was able to feel it. Oh, and up came the tears and the release. And I just felt a million times lighter and it just opened right up. And then I felt connected again to the person I'd felt angry with. And I spoke up. I also shared my feelings with them. I just said, well, I noticed I'd felt angry and anxious when this happened. And here's what I'm noticing was actually going on inside of me. I'd actually been feeling this. And just that expression was an important part of the relational process. If the relationship didn't matter to me, then I could have at least practiced the process inside myself until I realized it, got the release. So what we're really wanting to do is in a relational process, if we want intimacy and closeness, we have to be going through the process inside ourselves, and then we have to be able to speak about it on the outside in a way that is connected to this side of boundaries and risking. And so again, one of the boundaries may be that while I'm building safety with my family, I ask for permission to share things. So as you go back to that, um, what happened with your nephew, and again, I'm not sensing that that moment needed to be any different, but you know, if in the future something happens where somebody says something and you feel bothered, my suggestion would be to practice speaking up and say something like, wow, I'm noticing that when I heard that comment, I had an emotional reaction. Would you feel okay if I shared that? And my guess is they'll probably say yes. 
they might be kind of taken off guard because of the way you approached it. Like, uh, uh that's, this feels like a weird conversation. Um, okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. What's going on? So, you know, that may be going on inside their mind. My guess is they'll say, they'll say yes. And from there you can practice speaking about what your experience was. I noticed when I heard that comment that my chest got tight and then I felt frustrated and angry. The idea is to get as clear and real and true as possible. If we're not very clear, it can get bigger and start to become more dramatic. And that's okay. I've had experiences that show up that way because I'm not clear enough. And I'm, I know that my boundary is to speak it and not hold it in anymore. So I'm speaking it, but I'm not super clear, right? Because I haven't had, I haven't had my whole life to practice this. I've had the last five to 10 years, but it still feels so new sometimes, right? And really my own boundaries around not, not hiding things anymore have really been more in the last two to three years. And so, you know, it, it can feel very new and we're not always very clear. And then we start to speak it and we get anxious and it comes out more dramatic or we start to do the blaming thing and the projecting thing and the energy is still there in the blame, right? So be incredibly compassionate with yourself as you're going through this process. Because if that happens, all you can do is just kind of notice it. Maybe you own it after the fact. Maybe you need to apologize after the fact and just say, wow, I noticed that I wasn't sure how to express what I was feeling and this came across kind of icky. You're not only building safety with yourself and then seeing you know, how to build safety with yourself and the family, you're also inviting other people into a safe space, right? And so safe spaces mean we share our feelings but we own them 100%. And we ultimately acknowledge, okay, there's something going on about myself. Now you may be reflecting something to me. You, you may be harming me, hurting me, abusing me in some way. And I'm not going to ignore that or deny that or let that happen. And yet whatever feelings I'm having about it have something to do with me. They have something to do with my own self-betrayals, my own fears, my own hiding my own ignoring, whatever it is. And so we first want to get into conversation in a way in which we're not saying, you're the problem here. You're the reason I feel this way and you need to be the one to change. If we do that before we're willing to see our part and do our change, very few people will be willing to open up and be present with us and respond to us. Some people will because they do the, they know the, the drill, they've done the practices and they're close enough to themselves but probably in that case, they wouldn't be harming us or hurting us in the way they are. And so, yeah, if someone's harming us or hurting us, often we have to be the one to start and initiate that process. So I am just talking and talking and talking. I'm hoping that there's something becoming clear to you as I'm talking in terms of boundaries. And my hope is, and it may be something else, but as I'm talking, I guess the thing that's becoming most clear to me is how essential it is to not hide ourselves. And again, in the beginning, the boundary may be I don't hide myself. Another boundary may be I ask for permission. Another boundary may be if I ask for permission and I speak up and it's not safe, I remove myself from the situation. Another boundary may be if I speak up and I ask for permission and they say no, I honor that. And then you decide where to go from there. It may just mean that they say no for that day. They may come back to you a week later and be ready to talk. I really do sense I've kind of planted seeds for multiple conversations. And what I'll notice is over time, people come back and they're ready to address things. So I like to keep things open if I want to maintain the relationship. There's times that I don't want to maintain relationships and it feels okay to adjust and renegotiate 
the time I spend with them or the amount of time I see them or how much energy I put into something. So renegotiating a relationship is absolutely valid. Another valid option is, okay, someone's not ready. I've spoken up. I'm not hiding. That feels good. And that feels like enough for now. I feel like I can maintain the relationship under that circumstance in this moment. And who knows how long that will last, a year, a week, a month. And what you may find is at some point they come back and they're ready to have the conversation. Or at some point you become ready to share more and or they may or may not be ready to hear it at that point and or you may or may not need to renegotiate the relationship at that point. So there's a lot of complex stuff that can come down the road. And what can be helpful is not to get too tangled up in it because it's down the road. And so you don't have any way of figuring that out right now. All you can do is decide what works for now. That's it. That's all you can decide is what works for now. And then again, you can have some some visions being built for the future and some loose strategies. Oh, I feel just really, really excited. I feel like I can relate to your desire to grow in connection and intimacy. You said, I will say that I would like to feel closer to my siblings and parents, and I'm just not sure how to make that happen. Just love and own that part of you right now that feels the desire to connect because it's so real. So just love and honor that part of you. Love and honor the part of you that doesn't know how to make it happen yet. Just tons and tons of compassion. Just open up to the intention. I'm willing. I'm willing to make it happen. I'm willing to begin learning. And then just begin being open to any resources, you know, whether this podcast or anything else that will show up that will help to start to give you more tools, more steps, more ideas. So sending you tons and tons of love and care and intimacy into your life. I wish you the very best. And here's to everyone who's listening on the call today. I'd love to continue connecting. And so if you're enjoying these podcasts and especially the information on relationships and you'd like to get involved through the Advanced Relationship Academy, go ahead and send me an email to Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, at advancedrelationships.org and just let me know that you're interested in more information and I can go ahead and put you on the list for the free newsletters and sometimes the free gifts that we offer as well as getting you information about any offerings that we do throughout the year. So if you're interested in more information, go ahead and send me an email there. Here's to lighting up your life, experiencing amazing relationships, and being happier and healthier. Take care.